Today we're beginning a new sermon series. The next three weeks we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 1. And the title of the series is Jesus and the Angels. You know, over the time of the year as we begin to tell the Christmas story, people often are fascinated by the angels' appearance to Mary. And many people in our culture are fascinated with angels. Uh, one of the things that I've noticed over the years, if you go to stores, it's a great way to know what people are interested in, what people are buying. And if you go to bookstores, you go to gift stores, you'll see all kinds of angel figurines. You'll see books about angels. People in our culture today are interested in, in angels. But one of the things that Hebrews chapter 1 teaches us is that when it comes to Jesus and the angels, well, it's, it's all about Jesus. They are ministering spirits sent from God to help us, but Jesus is God in the flesh come to save us. And so today we're looking at the first four verses of this chapter as the writer of Hebrews lays out who Jesus is. As we understand who he is, it, it answers two really important questions for us. It answers, why does Jesus know things about our life and about what we should do? And why should we listen to him? Let me explain a little bit about the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews was written to a group of people who had become Christians, but were being tempted or pressured to revert back to Judaism. In the first century, what took place is that you got to understand this, that Christianity is not a, not a separate religion. People sometimes say there are three major religions in the world. They say there's Judaism, there's Christianity, and there's Islam. And, and that's not true at all. There's, there's really just two religions in the world because, you see, Jesus Christ was a Jew. All of his followers were a Jew, and he is the fulfillment of all the promises to Old Testament Israel. We are, we are Judaism realized in Christ. And so, so there's really not three religions in the world. There, there is actually two and in the first century, as people began to recognize that Jesus was the Messiah, those that refused to believe that Jesus was the Messiah began to throw them out of the synagogues and began to persecute them. And so as the Roman Empire began to exert different pressure upon these people through persecution, there was a lot of reasons that they were tempted. A lot of reasons we don't have time to get into this morning, but a lot of reasons they were tempted to revert back to Judaism. And so the book of Hebrews was written to teach them that Jesus was superior to Old Testament Judaism in and of itself. And the point that the writer makes is that after having experienced Jesus, why would anybody want to go back to Old Testament Judaism? If you've seen a shadow of a lovely person and then you've seen the person, why would you favor the shadow over the reality? And the Old Testament foreshadowed Christ and his coming. Now, a lot of people struggle with understanding how to apply the Bible. And so you may be thinking, Pastor, there's, there's nobody here today that's being tempted to revert to Judaism. So is this really relevant to us? And, and it is because I, here's what I want you to understand. The Bible says that people were given to us in the Bible for our example. That's the key word, for our example. They may not have done exactly what we're tempted to do, or they may not have lived in exactly the same circumstances. But how they responded, either good or bad, is an example to us. And so you may not be tempted to revert to Judaism, but all of us face pressures from our friends, our family, our culture, our educational system, all of us face pressure to believe things contrary to what Jesus 
believed and to what Jesus taught. And so we have to make the decision about whether we're going to listen to these people around us and to these institutions around us or whether we're going to listen to Jesus. And in that sense, the message of Hebrews is as relevant to us today as it was in the first century. The same question still applies today. How does Jesus know what he knows? And why should I listen to him? And the resounding answer that the writer of Hebrews gives to these questions is that Jesus knows because he is the creator and sustainer of the universe. He is God in the flesh. And why should we listen to him for the very same reason? Because he is the creator and sustainer of the universe. He is God in the flesh. And so that's the message of the book of Hebrews as we look at it today in verses 1 through 4. So I want to ask you, would you join me in standing just out of honor and reverence for God's word as we read this together? Hebrews chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, here's what the Bible says. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you'd help us to understand this today and to be obedient to it. Having tasted Jesus, let us never look for anything else. May he be the source of authority in our lives as we submit ourselves to him. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, the Bible teaches us here in this passage that Jesus is a word from God. And notice what he says in, in verse 1 that we just read. He says, long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. There are so many things in the, in the Christian faith that are just wonderful that if you grow up in the Christian faith and, and you're constantly in worship and Bible study, we have the tendency, because we become familiar with these things, to take them for granted. And one of these things is the fact that God speaks to us. I mean, you think about this for a moment, about how amazing this is. That the God that created us, that, that's absolutely perfect in every way, wants to know us and he, and he wants to speak to us. But that's exactly what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, long ago, at many times, and in many ways. Think about the many ways in the Old Testament that we know of that God spoke to people. The Bible tells us about a, a man named Gideon, that an angel appeared to Gideon and spoke to him. So God spoke to him through an angel. And then he wasn't sure about the angel's message, so he laid out a fleece. And God spoke to him through a fleece. And then we think about uh, Jonah, who God called to go to Nineveh, and he got on a boat headed in the opposite direction. And a group of sailors were trying to figure out who was responsible for the storm, and so they cast lots. And God spoke to them through the casting of lots. And then later in Old Testament Israel, when they were living in rebellion against God, God raised up men as prophets. And he spoke to them directly through these people, his Old Testament prophets. These are just some of the ways that God spoke to the people all throughout the Old Testament, just the ones that we know about. 
And that's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about when he says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers. But here's the emphasis. It says, but, but in these last days, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. You see, Jesus is a word from God. And he's not just a word from God, but he is the, he is the final word. Those words, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. You see, God may have spoken in all kinds of different ways in the past throughout the Old Testament. And I, I don't know if you realize this or not, but you and I are privy to information that they did not have in the Old Testament days. When God spoke to Abraham up on the mountain, and do you remember, do you remember what Abraham said to his son about what God was going to do? His son said, well, Father, here's the, here's the animal and here's the, the wood. Uh, or he said, asked about the animal, and he says, here's the fire. And, and Abraham says, God himself will provide a lamb. He didn't know all the details, but he looked forward in faith. Do you know that the Bible says that about the good news of Jesus Christ, that angels long to look into these things? Living on this side of the cross, we look back and we know what God has done, and we have information that those who have gone before us didn't, didn't even have yet. Because you see, in these last days, and these last days is not chronological, but it refers to a new era, the final era in God's working before he returns for his people. In these last days, God has spoken to us by his son. And so Jesus is not just a word from God. He is the word from God. He is a final revelation from the Lord. And so when we begin to think about what this means, God speaks and Jesus is the final word. Why is that? It's because Jesus is God in the flesh. Look at verses, verse 2 again. Here's what it says. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. And I want you to notice the two phrases that are put here together. The first one says, whom he appointed the heir of all things. The second one says, through whom also he created the world. In this passage, the Bible balances for us Jesus, who is fully God, with Jesus, who is fully man. You see, when we celebrate Christmas, we don't celebrate the beginning of Jesus. We celebrate the birth of Jesus. He existed long before, but we celebrate when he came in the flesh. And the Jesus before the incarnation, who was fully God, the Bible speaks about him here when it says, through whom also he created the world. And the Jesus who came in the flesh, it speaks about when he says, he appointed the heir of all things. You see, we ask these questions. Well, how does Jesus know and why should I listen to him? He knows because he is God. He is God come in the flesh. This is how he knows I don't I don't know what your experience has been with with uh, your faith and, and different things that might challenge your faith we're we're becoming more counter cultural every day and uh, when you when you watch a television show um, it's very rare to see anything that that resembles uh, anything close to something neutral almost every show I see today there's some type of agenda some, some good some bad some really perverted but some type of agenda that's been pushed through a narrative. We see this through television shows that we watch. 
uh, we, we, we hear it in, in, the, in our government. And uh, we, we certainly hear it in our universities. The sad thing today about our, our university system is that the, the, the education, the education standards that we have now are, are so low. And, and I, I'm currently a student at a state university working on a master's degree. I, I know what I'm talking about. The standards are so low that so many institutions have just become places of indoctrination where instead of educating people and trying to help people think, they simply present one point of view and try to push their agenda on our young people. And so when we begin to think about all these forces around us, and, and you and I, most of us here today have co-workers, we have peers, we have family members, we have people that are, that are speaking to us about our faith. And they may be speaking positive things and they may be speaking negative things, but you ask yourself, who do we listen to? Who, who's, who's the authority? Well, you see what the Bible teaches here is that Jesus is the authority. Because he is God come in the flesh. How do we know that Jesus knows what he's talking about? Because he's God. And you think about this question that, that's so common in our culture today. Where did we come from? Where did we come from? A lot of people today believe that we evolved. Uh, Richard Dawkins says that he believes life was planted here. You know, like by aliens. Which doesn't answer the question because then where did the aliens get their life if that's where we came from? So, so, so where do we come from? I think every person uh, sooner or later when they begin to think for themselves asks this question. It's a reasonable question. Where do we come from? Well, here's what Jesus says. Jesus says we were created. How does he know? Because he's the creator. That's the message of Hebrews chapter 1. He's the creator. That's how he knows. How many genders are there? Does that sound like a weird question? Boy, it's, it's at the forefront of our society today, isn't it? How, how, many, how many genders are there? I'm sure I offended people in the first second. First, I'm probably going to offend somebody in the second service by just bringing it up. But uh, because we're so polarized, divided on this issue, how many genders are there? Well, Jesus said in the beginning, he created them male and female. But how does he know? He's the creator. That's, that's the message that Hebrews has. And so, so the writer of Hebrews was writing to a group of people that were trying to be pulled back into Old Testament Judaism by people who could not accept that Jesus was the Messiah. And, and the, the writer is saying, why, after having experienced Jesus, who is God come in the flesh, the creator, sustainer, why would you think about going back? Because when we hear from Jesus, we hear from God. And the same is true for us today. There, there are questions that I cannot cannot answer uh, that's one of the great things about education the more I learned the more I realized the less I knew I mean there's just so so many things in the world that I can't answer and if 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 we invited Bill Nye here and we had a debate about evolution and creation I can promise you he would win that debate because I I don't I don't have all the scientific knowledge that he has I mean all he'd have to do is ignore all the relevant facts to my argument and, and I just wouldn't know I mean, when I hear some of those things and I see some of stuff, some of it's pretty convincing. I can't answer all of their questions, but I just came to the conclusion a long time ago that I'm just gonna I'm gonna go with what Jesus says. I, I trust him. Because you see, he's the creator and he's the sustainer. That's that's how he knows. And so this is an issue of authority. How, how do we know that we should give Jesus the authority? Because he's God, and when we listen to Jesus, we're listening to God. This is what it says in verse 3. 
It says he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. The Bible teaches here that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. Peter, James, and John were uh, kind of the inner three of the twelve. And, and those, those, those three disciples, Peter, James, and John, they got to go with Jesus up on what we now call the Mount of Transfiguration. We call it that because Jesus was transfigured before their eyes. And the Bible tells us about it in Luke chapter 9, verses 29 through 32. It says, and as he was praying, that, that's Jesus was praying, as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, which appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he is, was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, listen to this, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. John would later write about this. John was one of those three. It says Peter and the others. It was Peter, James, and John. And John would write about it in John chapter 1, verse 14. Here's what he said. And the word, that's Jesus. He's a word from God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father. Full of grace and truth. Do you hear what John said? He said, we have seen his glory. But if we think about people or events or paintings or anything that you, that you might describe, maybe it's a, a, a beautiful thing in nature, something that you might describe as glorious. Well, John says that Jesus has a, a, a particular, a peculiar, a unique glory. It's the glory that only comes from God. Listen to what he says, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Bible says that he is the radiance of the glory of God. Because he is God. And I want you to notice the second thing here. And the exact imprint of his nature. The exact imprint of his nature. There is no difference between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Their natures are exactly the same. Jesus is the exact imprint of the Father's nature. Colossians 1.15, listen to what it says about this. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Do you notice what the Bible says there? He is the image of God. The Bible says that you and I are made in the image of God. And it says in the New Testament that we are being transformed into his image, that, that is, into the image of Christ. What this means is that we're in the process, if we're followers of Christ, of becoming like Jesus. We're becoming more like him. But the Bible says about, about Jesus, he, he's not becoming the image of God. He wasn't made in the image of God. He is the image of God because he is God. And so we begin to understand this about who he is. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of God's nature. But notice this last thing that says in this verse, it says that he's the sustainer of the universe. It says, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. You see, he not only created everything, but he, is, he sustains everything. 
And so Colossians 1, 16 and 17, listen to what it says. For by him, and that's Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things. And listen to this phrase. It describes the exact same thing. He's the sustainer of the universe. It says, and in him all things hold together. I've known some smart people. I really have met some smart people in my life. But nobody, nobody knows more about why I'm here and what I'm supposed to be doing than Jesus. Nobody. I've read some great books, but I've never read a book that's superior to Jesus. Why? Because he's God. And when we hear from him, we hear from God. He is a word from God. He's God come in the flesh. He's the creator and he's the sustainer of everything. And so when we understand that Jesus, the Christ, has spoken, why would we look anywhere else for truth? Listen to what it says in the second part of verse 3. It says, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Remember that the writer of Hebrews is writing to Christians who are being tempted to revert back to Old Testament Judaism. And we know as he talks about the angels, he's talking about their role in giving the Old Testament law. That's, that's Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in the first verse there. And there are other passages in the Bible that allude to angels being used in giving God's revelation. It doesn't go into detail, but the Bible makes it clear that God used angels to, to deliver his message at times. And so what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that having heard directly from God, why would we ever choose the messenger over God? You and I today, uh, the U.S., most countries around the world, we all have ambassadors. And an ambassador for the U.S., they, they might go in and meet with a president or a foreign minister. And when they go, they go with authority because they represent the one that sent them, the president of the United States. But surely nobody would confuse the ambassador with the president. If the president walks into the room, who would ignore him to speak to the ambassador? And so it is when we look at the shadow of the reality that is the Old Testament and we elevate it above the reality, which is Jesus Christ, or which is what they were doing, or in our case, we listen to imperfect human beings who may mean well and may know much more than we do. But why would we choose them? over the creator and sustainer of the universe. Jesus who made purification for our sins. Here's what that means. It means that Jesus made it possible for you to be forgiven. It means that he made it possible for you to be clean. He made it possible for you to be pure, even though you've done impure things. Because you see, he lived the perfect life that we haven't lived. And so the law taught us what sin is, but Jesus made it possible for us to be clean of our sins. 
Romans 7, 7, Paul wrote about this. That's what he says. He says, yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. And so as the writer of Hebrews is talking to these that are looking about coming back under the law, he says, why would you come under the law? The purpose of the law was to reveal sin and to help us understand that we need Christ. And once we understand that we need Christ and we've received him, why would we choose anything else? And when you and I have known Jesus, who the Bible says is the truth, why would we look for truth in anyone or anything else? Verse 4, it says, Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Well, Jesus, as God, has always been superior to the angels. He created the angels. They're created beings just like you and I. Angels have not always existed just like you and I have not always existed. But he created them. And as God was always superior to them, but as he came in the flesh, lived a perfect life and died for our sins, fulfilling God's call upon his life to be our Savior and our Messiah, he was given a name. And that name is Son. And that name is much greater than the angel's name, which, by the way, means messenger. And the Bible says that they are ministering spirits. Listen to verse 14 of Hebrews chapter 1. Are they not all ministering spirits? Set out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. This is how the Bible describes the angels. Or are they not all ministering spirits? I hope today that you've encountered Jesus and understand who he is. And if having encountered him and knowing the truth, let us never set him aside. For an inferior source of knowledge. Be it a friend. Be it institution. Be it government. Be it our own thoughts. May Jesus be the authority. In our lives. As we follow him. Let's pray together. Father I thank you. That you love us enough to send your son to die for us. And Lord I pray for every person here. That we would. We would follow his leadership. Lord, I pray that you give us faith to believe and to trust. And Lord, I pray if there's any person here who's never received Jesus as Savior, I pray today that they would call upon you in prayer. Lord, for those of us that are believers, help us to be faithful. Help us to be persistent. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Do you know that Jesus Christ came to die for you? The Bible also says in this passage about that he made purification for sin. That was your sin. It was my sin. And those of us who are here today, we, if I knew everything about you, there, there's not one of us that I couldn't say something or show something that would just absolutely embarrass or humiliate you. But you see, Jesus knew. He knew you were going to do that before you ever did it. And he still chose to come and die in your place so that you could be saved. Isn't that amazing? You see, today, Jesus offers salvation to us as a free gift. All we have to do is receive it. We can't work for it. We can't pay for it. And we don't deserve it. But because of his love and his mercy, he desires to give it to us. 
So today, if you'd like to receive the gift of forgiveness, if you were to pray to God right now, he would hear your prayer. Because you see, he's not just the God who speaks. He's also the God who listens. And right now, if you were to call upon him and ask for forgiveness, God would hear your prayer and he would answer it. For those of us that have already been forgiven, God is calling us to a life of following and obeying. So whatever we hear from the Lord, whether it's reading the words of Jesus in the gospel, or whether it's reading the apostles explaining the words of Christ and telling about what he did, when we hear from Jesus, we need to obey and we need to follow so friend, whether it's making that decision for the first time or whether it's continuing on the path that you're already on, I want to ask you today to examine yourself. And if there's some decision that you need to make, let's make it before we leave. You can pray right there in your pew. If you want someone to pray with you, you can come and kneel at the altar. People will gather around you and pray with you. Or if you need someone to talk to, 